Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, we took a little break in our episodes here due to the holidays. Last week was Thanksgiving here in the U.S., and it was just a very busy time. We had some family over, did a lot of cooking, and just really had some good time off. Got to take a few days off work, and I thought it would just also be good to take some time off here as well and just really get refreshed and restarted and just revitalized and now ready to just jump back into all of this. And I really hope that everyone listening had a great holiday. Even if it wasn't a holiday for you, I hope you guys had a good week. And I apologize if you guys did miss having a new episode to listen to. And I promise that that isn't going to happen very often. I'm still contemplating whether or not I'm going to have a few weeks in between books. When we finish this one, I know that I am going to definitely be moving on to the next book. I haven't decided if I'm going to allow myself a break in there or not. However, all of that is in the future and doesn't really need to be worried about right now. There are a few things, however, that I want to talk about. One being the reunion show that is going to be happening on January 1st. And if you guys aren't aware of this, from my understanding, without having any of the details really pulled up, they are doing a 20-year anniversary reunion of the Harry Potter movies cast and crew where they are having however many number of people from the original series just coming together on HBO and they're going to be talking about their time there. They're going to probably be showing a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. They're going to be talking about a lot of behind-the-scenes stories probably and I'm excited for it. I definitely want to see it. I'm definitely going to be watching it. However, there is a completely political side to all of this that I don't like and I'm not going to discuss it here because that's that's not the platform that I'm doing here. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not talking about these things. Um, I do, however, disagree with some of the views, obviously, as there are many views in and around just Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, and everything about it. There's a lot that I disagree with. There's a lot that I don't like. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not going to talk about it very much. I'm going to talk about the, the show when I watch it. I think it'll be really interesting to hear some of the stories, but I'm not going to get too much into it. Again, that's not what this podcast is for. I do want to highlight those things that they are happening uh, as I've said before, kind of like an outpost thing, um, news. Well, outpost is more for like emails. Haven't really still come up with a title, I believe, for like news and exciting stuff. Uh, maybe like the Daily Profit stuff, which is still very generic. I don't want to use that name. However, that is exciting that they're going to be doing a reunion, and I can't wait to see that. I have already expressed this view before. I'm not as into the movies as I am the books. I absolutely adore the books. I enjoy the movies for what they are being a depiction of the books. I just think that they're so far removed sometimes from the books that for me it's hard to enjoy without being upset about certain details. I do enjoy them. I do enjoy watching them. I just think that they're far below what the books are in regards to capturing the entire scope of the entire Harry Potter universe. So yeah, the show is going to be really cool. There's also another thing that I'm I'm really not watching. Uh, if you guys are watching it uh, and you want to tell me about it, it is the Hogwarts Tournament of Houses. It looks like a game show where they're testing knowledge. And 
I don't know. Some of it seemed really cool. There was a snippet that I saw about like having to watch a few seconds of a snippet of video. And then you had to basically pay attention to the entire cut of film that is being shown. And you had to remember as much as you possibly can about it. And then you were asked a question about the scene. And like one of the questions was, what was the number on this particular item in the scene that you just watched? And that's cool and all. However, I feel like that has nothing really to do with your overall Harry Potter knowledge. And I understand that you have to have things in there to probably fill time or to make it more interesting and maybe more user interactive. Like if you want your audience engaged where they can also watch that clip and then answer the question for themselves. I get all of that. However, doesn't really seem like it would be based on Harry Potter knowledge. And again, I haven't really checked into the basis of it, of like knowing exactly what the game show is for and what it's about outside of just the generic things that have already been said on TV and through different Facebook like posts and stuff that I have seen about it. I personally just don't have any interest in it because, again, this podcast is pertaining to the books and talking points in the books and comparing them to the movies in that sense, not so much these extracurricular experiences that are going on. And I'm sure for the people involved, it, it is very exciting. And I hope you guys, if any of you ever do happen to listen to this, have a good time, had a good time whenever you are listening to this. I think it is a really cool experience to go and do something like that. It is, however, just not the basis of a talking point for the podcast here. And so with all of that, yes, it's exciting. I think it is really cool to go check out, and if you want to go check it out, please do. If you guys have any questions or comments on it, if you guys do watch it and you do enjoy it and you do think that there's something worth talking about in it, please email me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. One thing I, I also want to do is a special welcome to anyone new who is listening. There are some people that I work with now that have taken an interest into listening. And if you guys are listening, you know who you are. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And I hope that you enjoy all of this. I hope you guys enjoy listening to me talk more so than I already talk while I'm working. And uh, if not, I am so sorry for you that you are listening to this and, and doing this to yourselves. But I really do hope you guys enjoy it. And so thank you for listening. Now, two weeks ago, when we left off, we were finishing well we finished chapter 12 which was the mirror of era said and we got some interesting looks into different things in and around harry's world at the moment using the invisibility cloak getting to look at the mirror of era said having the first real interaction between harry and dumbledore and if you guys want more details on that go back and listen to last not last week two weeks ago episode go listen to the last episode and take what you will out of it there is some really interesting things in there there's a lot of stuff that i really want to dig deeper into it's just hard at this point in the story to dig in too deep into a lot of these details without ruining future aspects of the story and so I know that as we're going through the story, if there's something that you're like, oh man, Tony, why didn't you talk about this? Or why didn't you talk about that? It's probably going to be talked about later. There are certain things that I am skipping over specifically in regards to not spoiling future stuff because there are things in this book that unfold 
later on in the series. And the things that I'm primarily paying attention to now are things that didn't really unfold or things that would have been different based on things that do unfold later on in the series. And yeah, so that's where we left last episode. And we will go ahead and dig into today's episode, which is chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. And I'm hoping that this is a shorter chapter. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to talk a little bit maybe about the Flamels because there's some really cool history about them in our world here. And I find it really intriguing. I can't wait to talk about it, but it is a short chapter. And so this should only take one episode and it might even be a shorter episode just because of how short the chapter is. It's so short that even in the illustrated version, there's only really two pictures and that's on the main page for the chapter start itself where you see this really cool backdrop of the lake in the mountains and you see Fox the Phoenix who is flying over top of the waters above the tree line and it's a really cool little it looks almost like a watercolor portrait that has been done outside of that there's not really a whole bunch more in detail I think the only other picture that is done is a small stack of books on the next page and that's really the only things that are depicted portrait wise here in the book and again if you guys are new and you don't know we are going through this series with the illustrated versions of the books that have been illustrated by Jim K and he has some of the most gorgeous artwork you can see in just this world itself about Harry and the reason I love it so much is because you are seeing the actual depiction of these characters being made the way that they are described in the book and so when you look at the movie adaptation of characters there are always going to be flaws because they work with what they can get yes they do try and alter people as much as possible to make them look like the characters but like for example harry's eyes are supposed to be green but because of the contact lenses with daniel radcliffe's eyes and the irritation problems that they caused they did away with that, and so you just have Harry's, I believe, just blue eyes in the movies, and they're supposed to be green. And so there are things that are really lost when looking at the movie adaptations of characters, but in this book, you get to see things illustrated in the way that they are actually described. And so it is really cool to see those things that is going to be different than from the movies in an aspect that I really really enjoy about the books. Now, for specifically where we left off last week, Harry had his conversation with Dumbledore while sitting in front of the mirror of Erised, and Harry had asked him what he had seen in the mirror, and Dumbledore answered, socks, a thick pair of woolen socks. And the chapter ends with Harry laying in bed, thinking back on that question and he thinks that Dumbledore might not have been very truthful and he also thought that it was quite a personal question to ask and now this chapter opens up with Harry thinking about the fact that he is now convinced he was convinced by Dumbledore not to go looking for the mirror again because Dumbledore was going to have the mirror moved that way he didn't really get sucked into the trap that lays in the mirror itself which is dreaming about your desires and forgetting to live as Dumbledore says 
and he doesn't want Harry to fall into that trap. He doesn't want him to get sucked into dreaming and not living and constantly wanting the desires of his heart versus living. And even though Ron tried to convince him not to go back to the mirror, Harry did. And it was something about Dumbledore in their conversation that convinced him not to go looking for it again. And for the rest of the holidays that they had here at Hogwarts, Harry kept his invisibility cloak folded at the bottom of his trunk. And he really wished that he could forget what he had seen in the mirror. And he wished it was easier for him to do it, but it just wasn't. And he couldn't forget it. And so he starts having nightmares and... Over and over again, he starts dreaming about his parents, and they're disappearing in a flash of green light with a high-cackled voice. It's just high-cackling, this laughter, and I couldn't imagine having those kind of nightmares where, for those of us who have made it through the series, we know what this is, we know what's going on, and I couldn't imagine like having those kind of nightmares, even before he understands what this is and he's having nightmares of it is just crazy to me. And it's also very sad that he has to live with that now. Now we see that with the holidays being over, they had told Hermione about everything and she's really kind of torn between disappointment, both in them being out of bed and possibly taking the chance of getting caught versus also not finding any news about who Nicholas Flamel was. And so they've almost given up hope in finding who Flamel was in a library book, even though Harry was sure that he had read about him somewhere. Once the term had started, they were back to skimming through the books for about 10 minutes during their breaks, and Harry had even less time than the other ones because of the Quidditch practices that he was now going through and Wood is working them harder than ever. That's Oliver Wood, the Quidditch captain. He's working them harder than ever. It's raining now, not snowing, so the weather's not great, but it says that even the weather itself couldn't dampen Wood's spirits. He is just running in another gear because they were ready for their next match. And even though the Weasley twins were complaining about how much they were doing inside of this weather, Harry was on Wood's side about this. If they won their next match against Hufflepuff, they would overtake Slytherin for the house championship for the first time in seven years. And apart from just wanting to win, Harry found that he had fewer nightmares when he was tired after training. And so this is becoming a twofold thing for Harry. The harder he was training, the more tired he was, the less frequent he was having these nightmares. So I could see him even using that training then in that effort to ward off some of those nightmares to not have to deal with that. Then during one of their next practices, Wood gives them some bad news. He finds out that Professor Snape was going to be refereeing the game and he would be looking for any excuse to knock points off of Gryffindor. And it says that George Weasley fell off of his broom and spluttering through a mouthful of mud, he says, Snape's refereeing? When has he ever refereed a Quidditch match? He's not going to be fair if we might overtake Slytherin, which was his house. So they're worried now that Snape is going to play very unfair in this match towards them. And rightfully so. Looking at what has happened with him thus far in regards to Gryffindor, as you can tell that 
he does not like them. He does not favor them whatsoever. And this is actually a point that I don't like. I don't enjoy. It's just, I don't know. It's so weird that this was even a thing because nowhere else in the series do we ever see a teacher ref a game. It's always Madam Hooch. And so I don't understand this. Like I don't understand. I wish there was a little bit more backstory as to why Madam Hooch isn't doing this. Like I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And I really wish it was explained better. And this is, of course, something that if you haven't read the books, you're a movie only person, you wouldn't know about this because they only ever do the one Quidditch match in a movie and they don't ever really talk about it much after that, except for when you see it later on in the other films where other people get involved with the team. Now, in the movies, this part that's coming up, there's a lot of time jumps. There's a lot of differences that happen, and I'll try and point them out as they pop up. But if you're a movie person only or a book person only, then you're probably going to start to pick up on things that you didn't realize was left out of one or the other here. Now, in regards to Snape being the referee, they continue on talking about it, where George lands next to them. He starts complaining as well, and Wood saying it's not his fault. We just have to make sure that we play a clean game. That way, Snape doesn't have any excuse to pick on us. He can't take any points away if we're playing a clean game. He's just going through all of this. And while the rest of the team hung back to talk to each other as usual at the end of practice, Harry took off straight for a Gryffindor common room where he wanted to tell Ron and Hermione what was going on. He finds them playing chess, which is the only thing that Hermione ever lost at, and both Harry and Ron thought it was really good for her. As he is running into them, Ron says, don't talk to me for a moment. He then catches sight of Harry's face and immediately changes tact and says, what's the matter with you? You look terrible. And so Harry then quickly tells them about what's going on with Snape. And as it says here, his sinister desire to be a Quidditch referee. And so this is another one of those back and forths that I think is really funny in this, this book here. Hermione says, don't play. Ron says, say you're ill. Hermione says, pretend to break your leg. Ron says, really break your leg. And then Harry goes on and explains that he can't because there isn't a backup seeker. And if he doesn't play, the Gryffindor team will not be able to play at all. And then at that moment, Neville comes hopping in through the portrait hole, which was a surprise to them because he was literally hopping. He had something used on him, which was called the Leg Locker Curse. And he had to bunny hop his way all the way up to Gryffindor Tower and what that is, basically, his legs are locked together, so you can't move them at all. And it says everyone fell over because they were laughing so hard, except for Hermione, who stood up and performed the counter curse, which isn't talked about here. There isn't an incantation for it. But if I had to probably guess, it would probably be finite, which is what you see kind of stop the effects of other magic later on in the series. You do see finite incantatum used on a bludger in the second story and it is uh, kind of strange the effect that that has as it causes the bludger at least in the movie to explode i can't remember exactly off the top of my head what happens in the book in that scene but i think what happens in the movie is a little exaggerated i don't think an explosion would happen that's neither here nor there as that is pertaining to the second book however i do think that she probably used finite here to stop that from happening 
And as she does this, Neville's legs come apart, and he was finally able to get up to his feet, though he was still trembling. Hermione asks him what happened, and Neville shakily says, Malfoy. I met him outside of the library, and he said that he had been looking for someone to practice that curse on. So... In light of that, Hermione urges him to go tell Professor McGonagall, which he flat out refuses, saying he doesn't want to make more trouble. And Ron tells him he's got to stand up to Malfoy. He's used to just walking all over people, but that's no reason to lie down in front of him and make it easier for him. So he's Ron's encouraging him to stand up, uh, stand up to this bully. Like, don't let him push you around and certainly don't just like make yourself an easy target for him. I also kind of want to agree more with Hermione. I don't like this aspect of, well, if I go and tell somebody that the person is bullying me, then it's only going to cause more trouble. No, that shouldn't happen. If somebody is bullying you and you tell somebody who is an authority figure and that causes that person to bully you even more, there's something wrong. And that authority figure didn't actually do their job. And so I am really big on this. Like, I know there's a line of like, oh, don't be a tattletale, but at the same time, don't be a bully. And if you're being a bully, you deserve to get told on. Plain and simple. Don't be a bully. We've been over this a hundred times. Don't be a bully. And if you're being bullied, absolutely tell someone because there are far worse consequences that we see in the world today that I don't want to get into because it's way too sad and way too heavy. There are way worse consequences than not telling somebody. So if you're being bullied, please Go tell somebody. And if you're bullying, stop it. Neville's response to Ron is honestly, though, kind of sad as he says, there's no need to tell me that I'm not brave enough to be in Gryffindor. Malfoy's already done that. And it says that Neville chokes. So he's really sad, obviously. However, in this moment, Harry's reaching around in his robes and he pulls out a chocolate frog. And it's the very last one from the box that Hermione had got for him for Christmas and he gives it to Neville, who looked as though he might cry. And Harry tells him, you're worth 12 of Malfoy. The sorting hat chose you for Gryffindor, didn't it? And where's Malfoy? In stinking Slytherin. And this is such a great quality of Harry, building somebody up. I know we've already seen a little bit of a negative side when it came to him and the way that he did treat Hermione at first. And I think it's definitely redeemed here in the way that he treats Neville. And it's gorgeous. I love it. I love the way that he treats him. And this is where it gets interesting. So Neville kind of gives Harry a half smile. He unwraps the frog, thanks Harry, and says that he's going to go to bed, but asks him if he wants the card because he's starting to collect them. And so as Neville's walking away, Harry looked down at this famous wizard card, and it says, Dumbledore again, he was the first one I ever... And then he gasped. Do you guys remember what the original chocolate frog card said? Harry looks up at Ron and Hermione and says, I've found him. Well, he whispered it. He doesn't say it. It says here he whispered. So it'd be more like, I found him. I don't know why he would whisper it, but he whispers it. I found Flamel. I told you I read the name somewhere before. I read it on the train coming here. Listen to this. And this is what it says specifically. Professor Dumbledore is particularly famous for his defeat of the dark wizard Grindelwald in 1945, for the discovery of the 12 uses of dragon's blood, and his work on alchemy with his partner, Nicholas Flamel. There is so much in there, and I, I 
know that we talked about it a little bit before, but I love that we have Grindelwald talked about. We have a date that's talked about in which some of these things happened. We see some of Dumbledore's achievements, and we now see this connection with Nicholas Flamel. And in that moment, Hermione jumps to her feet, and it says that she had never looked so excited since they got back their marks for their very first piece of homework. She says, stay there, and she sprints up the stairs up to the girls' dormitories, and Harry and Ron barely had time to look at each other with these mystified looks before she had come hurtling back in with this huge book in her arms, and this is going to be one of the first few sets of things I'm going to point out. There's actually a few in here that I'm going to point out. First off, in the movie, in the extended scenes, we do see the leg locker curse used on Neville. However, that is in the Great Hall that that happens where he comes hopping in and not in the Gryffindor common room. You also see here that Harry reads this off of the chocolate frog card again. However, in the movie, we go straight from Harry and Dumbledore having their conversation in front of the mirror to a small jump in time with this scene of Harry walking outside with Hedwig on his arm Actually, I believe he's already outside, and he's just standing there with his arm extended, and Hedwig is sitting on his arm, and she takes off, flies up one of the walls, like flying up alongside of the wall of the castle, and kind of disappears into the air, and it immediately jumps scene to farther on into the season where you see green grass again. There's no longer snow around, and it's the end. it's clearly the end of the holidays. And Harry and Ron are sitting in, it looks like the Great Hall again. Actually, it might be the library. I think it might be the library where they're sitting. No, it's definitely the library. I think because they were sitting at a long wooden table, it made me think of the Great Hall. But it is definitely the library where they're sitting. And Hermione walks in with this massive book, slams it down. And it actually, if you look closely enough, she slams it down on Ron's hand. And he kind of retracts it really quickly. I don't know if that actually was intentional or if that was completely accidental, but you do see him react as he pulls his hand back. And her first words were, I had you guys looking in entirely the wrong place. I checked this out weeks ago for a bit of light reading to which we get Ron's reaction, which I think we're about to see here in the book as well. But in the movie, it's Hermione who finds who Nicholas Philomel is, where here in the book it was Harry in the chocolate frog card again. But Hermione comes back with this enormous old book in her arms. She said, I had never thought to look in here. I got this out of the library weeks ago for a bit of light reading. To which Ron replies, light? Question mark. But Hermione told him to be quiet until she had looked something up. And she starts flicking frantically through the pages, muttering to herself. I have no idea why I just struggled so hard saying flicking frantically. I don't even think it's a tongue teaser. Flicking frantically. Well, I can't even say it again. So yeah, have fun saying that. Flicking frantically. But as she's tearing through these pages, she finally stops and says, I found it. I knew it. I knew it. And Ron says, are we allowed to speak yet? And... Hermione starts whispering, Nicholas Flamel. She's whispering, it says, dramatically, is the only known maker of the Sorcerer's Stone. 
and it really didn't have quite the effect that she expected. Harry and Ron both say what? And she says, oh, honestly, do you two read? Look here. And so she pushes the book towards them, and Harry and Ron read. And this is what it says. The study of alchemy is concerned with making the Sorcerer's Stone, a legendary substance with astonishing powers. The stone will transform any metal into pure gold. It also produces the elixir of life, which will make the drinker immortal. There have been many reports of the Sorcerer's Stone over the centuries, but the only stone currently in existence belongs to Mr. Nicholas Flamel, the noted alchemist and opera lover. Mr. Flamel, who celebrated his 665th birthday last year, enjoys a quiet life in Devon with his wife, Paranel, 658. And so that was the end of that, and Hermione says, See, the dog must be guarding Flamel's Sorcerer's Stone. I bet he asked Dumbledore to keep it safe for him because they're friends and he knew someone was after it. That's why he wanted the stone moved from Gringotts. Harry then replies, a stone that makes gold and stops you from ever dying? No wonder Snape's after it. Anyone would want it. And then Ron says, and no wonder we couldn't find Flamel in the study of recent developments in wizardry. He's not exactly young or recent if he's 665, is he? Now, I think this might be a small error, unless, of course, this book that they're reading had been published the year before or that year currently, but it seems as if it might have been an older book, at least based on the movies, it looks a little old and dodgy, and so he's got to definitely be older than what it says in that book. So the next few paragraphs then just in detail talk about Harry and Ron in their next Defense Against the Dark Arts class, talking about what they would use if they could turn anything into gold and the things that they would buy. And then in regards to the match, Harry says that he is going to play even with Snape being the referee. He doesn't want the Slytherins to think that he is too scared to face Snape. And we then have a time jump that is closer to the match as it says as the match drew nearer however harry became more and more nervous whatever he told ron and hermione and so obviously he's lying to them he's not letting on exactly how nervous and probably scared he was in dealing with snape remember he's just an 11 year old boy snape is a full grown man and it says that the rest of the gryffindor team was also not being able to stay calm they were just really over the moon about the idea of overtaking slytherin and the fact that no one had done it in nearly seven years. But how are they going to do this with such a biased referee? And Harry, as it probably turns out, happens to a majority of people. When you're dreading something, there are aspects of it that kind of just tend to pop up all over the place then, especially if it's something that is coming regardless of whether you like it or not. If it is something that you are not looking forward to, there are things that end up popping up. And for example, with this, even though the, he doesn't want Snape being the referee, it seems as if Snape is now popping up all over the place. Everywhere he went, he was seeing Snape. And now Harry is wondering if Snape could possibly know that they had found out about the Sorcerer's Stone but he doesn't see how it could have happened. Yet he sometimes had this horrible feeling that Snape could read minds. And that is, there, there's a lot of good foreshadowing in there. I'm not going to talk about it or, or ruin anything, but there's some really good foreshadowing in that bit. 
Now we have a time jump to the next afternoon, which is right before the match. And Ron and Hermione had just wished Harry luck outside of the changing rooms. They heard Wood's pep talk and pulled on their Quidditch robes. Harry picks up his Nimbus 2000 and they make their way out. Ron and Hermione, meanwhile, had found a place in the stands next to Neville, who couldn't understand why they looked so grim or worried. So he can see they're obviously very visibly worried and upset about something. He just has no idea what. But it says here, little did Harry know that Ron and Hermione had been secretly practicing the leg locker curse. They had gotten this idea from Malfoy when he had used it on Neville, and they were going to try and use it on Snape if he showed any sign of wanting to hurt Harry. And this is astonishing to me. We've already seen Hermione set him on fire. Like, what would they do? Like, just openly use magic in front of everyone? The entire school who is there probably watching this match the teachers who are there, they're just going to straight up use magic in front of them. It's, again, one of those wild scenarios that is very comical to me. Then back in the locker room, we see Oliver Wood pulls Harry aside and says, hey, I don't want to pressure you, Potter, but if you've ever needed an early capture of the snitch, it's now. Finish the game before Snape can favor Hufflepuff too much. Fred is then looking out the door, and he says, wow, the whole school is out there. And he says, wow, blimey, Dumbledore's come to watch. To which Harry's heart did a somersault. He's excited now because Dumbledore is there. He says, Dumbledore, and he's dashing over to the door to make sure that Fred was right. And he says, there's no mistaking this silver beard. And Harry is just so overjoyed. He says, he could have laughed out loud with relief. He was safe. There was simply no way that Snape would dare to try and hurt him if Dumbledore was watching. And they make their way out onto the field, and it says that Snape was just looking so angry, and Harry is chalking it up to the fact that Dumbledore is there. And this is something that Ron also picked up on. He looked over to Hermione and said, I've never seen Snape look so mean. And then he says, ouch because someone had poked Ron in the back of the head. And of course, it was Malfoy, to which he says, oh, sorry, Weasley, didn't see you there. But Malfoy was grinning broadly at Crab and Goyle. So now the match had actually begun, and Malfoy is still here jeering. He's saying, like, I wonder how long Potter's going to stay on his broom this time. Anyone want to bet? What about you, Weasley? And Ron's ignoring him. He His... Anxiety level was already stretched thin at the idea of Harry being in this game and Snape being there. But that doesn't stop Malfoy from relenting. He says, you know, I think they choose people for the Gryffindor team based on feeling bad for them or feeling sorry for them. And he continues by saying, you see, there's Potter, who's got no parents, then the Weasleys, who've got no money. And he then turns his attention to Neville and says, you should be on the team, Longbottom. You've got no brains. And this time, Neville doesn't take it. He turns to Malfoy and says, I'm worth 12 of you, which again is what Harry had said to him the night before. But at that, Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle started to howl with laughter. And Ron, he didn't want to take his eyes off the game, but he had said, you tell him, Neville. So he's there kind of just encouraging him to stand up to them. But Malfoy replies with Longbottom, if brains were gold, you'd be poorer than Weasley, and that's saying something. 
Ron replies with, I'm warning you, Malfoy, one more word. And then Hermione suddenly shouts. She says, Ron, Harry, what, where? Which is Ron's reply. And they look up and Harry had just gone into a spectacular dive. And the crowd around them were gasping and there were cheers. And Hermione stands up. Her fingers are crossed in her mouth. So I don't understand that. Her fingers are crossed and they're in her mouth. And Harry was streaking towards the ground like a bullet. Still, Malfoy is going on. You're in luck, Weasley. Potter's obviously spotted some money on the ground. But Ron had it. He was done. Before Malfoy knew what was happening, Ron was on top of him and they were wrestling to the ground. Neville hesitates, but then he climbs over the back of one of the seats to help. Hermione's screaming, come on, Harry, let's go. And she's leaping on her seat to watch as Harry is speeding straight at Snape. She didn't even notice that Malfoy and Ron were rolling on the ground beneath her seat. And she definitely didn't notice the scuffles or the yelps coming from the whirl of fists that was Neville, Crab, and Goyle. But up in the air, Snape's on his broomstick and he turns just in time to see something scarlet shoot past him, missing him just by inches. The next second, Harry pulled out of the dive and he has his arm raised in triumph. The snitch was clasped tight in his hand. The stands erupted. It definitely had to be a record because nobody could remember the snitch ever being so quickly caught. Hermione is now losing her mind. Ron, Ron, where are you? The game's over. Harry's won. We've won. Gryffindor is now in the lead. And she's shrieking. She's jumping up and down. She's hugging Pavardi Patil, who's standing in the row in front of her. Everyone's celebrating. It's great. Harry jumps off of his broom. He's still a foot off the ground. He is in disbelief. He can't believe it. He had done it. This game is over now. It was so quick. It had barely lasted five minutes. The Gryffindors are now spilling onto the Quidditch pitch, and he sees Snape landing nearby. He's white-faced. He's tight-lipped. He's upset. And Harry feels a hand on his shoulder. It was Dumbledore. He was smiling down at him. And he says, well done. It's nice to see that you haven't been brooding over that mirror. It's nice to see that you're keeping yourself busy. Excellent. And then Snape spits on the ground. This is obviously a pretty joyous moment for Harry. This is probably one of the first times, I would say maybe the first time in his life that he has been, I don't know what the word is that I want to use, congratulated somebody who felt proud of him and it it's none other than Dumbledore it's so it really doesn't get more top tier than that so Harry has to be pretty proud of himself he has to be just on cloud nine just completely ecstatic and just ready to go this doesn't get any better for him right now in this moment and it's those thoughts exactly that are with Harry as he's leaving the changing room to take his Nimbus 2000 back to the broom shed he couldn't remember ever feeling happier. He really thinks that he has done something to be proud of. And now no one can say he was just a famous name anymore. He now has this potential record for the fastest snitch catch ever here at Hogwarts. It continues on with this thought of the evening air had never smelled so sweet. He's walking over the damp grass and he's really just reliving the last hour in his head. It was becoming a happy blur in his head. There were Gryffindors that had run into the field. They lifted him up onto their shoulders. Ron and Hermione were in the distance jumping up and down. Ron was cheering through a very heavy nosebleed, so he probably got some work done, but I think he also got some work done on Malfoy as well. 
And so Harry reaches the shed, and he leaned against the wooden door and looked up at Hogwarts. As he's leaning there, he's thinking about how Gryffindor is now in the lead, that he had done it. He had really shown Snape. And then speaking of Snape, as he's watching the castle, there was this hooded figure that had swiftly come down the steps from the front of the castle. It was definitely acting as if it didn't want to be seen, and it was walking as fast as possible towards the Forbidden Forest. So very quickly, Harry's victory thoughts had faded from his mind, and he's just watching. He recognized this figure's prowling walk. This was Snape. It was definitely Snape, and he was definitely sneaking into the forest while everyone else was at dinner. So what was going on? So Harry then decides to take his broomstick, he jumps onto it, and then takes off, gliding silently over the castle, where he then sees Snape entering the forest at a run. So he follows, naturally, as one does when you're curious. says here that the the trees were so thick that Harry couldn't really see where Snape had gone. He flew in circles lower and lower, and he starts brushing the top of the branches of the trees until he finally hears some voices, and he makes his way over towards them. Below, in a shadowy clearing, there was Snape, but he was not alone. Professor Quirrell was there as well, and Harry couldn't really make out the look on Quirrell's face, but he was stuttering worse than ever, so Harry strained to catch what they were saying. And this is now Quirrell talking, Don't know what you wanted to meet me here of all places, Severus. And then Snape replies, Oh, I thought we'd keep this private. Students aren't supposed to know about the Sorcerer's Stone after all. Harry, probably in light of not being able to hear them very well, he leans forward and he's listening still. Quirrell is mumbling something, but Snape interrupts him. Have you found out how to get past that beast of Hagrid's yet? And Quirrell replies, but Severus, I... And then Snape cuts him off again. You don't want me as your enemy, Quirrell. And this is where we see that scene in the movie where they're in the corridor and Harry is first sneaking around in his invisibility cloak and then comes across the mirror of Arised. These two scenes were really put together. There was a owl that hooted loudly not too far from Harry, and it must have startled him because it says that he had to steady himself just in time to hear Snape say, you're a little bit of hocus pocus, I'm waiting. And then Quirrell says, but I don't, and then he's cut off again very well. We'll have another little chat soon when you've had time to think about where your loyalties lie. And so he throws his cloak over his head and he strides out of the clearing. It was almost dark now, but Harry could see Quirrell standing there quite still as though he was petrified. And so, yeah, we have Snape being super sketchy again, doing the Snape thing. And we have Quirrell involved as well. So what is going on? Why is Snape being a bully? Why is Quirrell not standing up for himself? He's the defense against the dark arts teacher. He's got to know ways to defend himself. Why is he so afraid of Snape? We have a, I'm guessing a tiny jump in time here as Hermione is now asking Harry where he has been. Ron is still celebrating. We won, you won, we won, and he's thumping Harry on the back. And I gave Malfoy a black eye, and Neville tried to take on Crab and Goyle single-handedly. He's still out cold, but Madame Pomfrey says that he's going to be all right. Talk about showing Slytherin. Everyone is waiting for you in the common room. We're having a party. Fred and George stole some cakes and stuff from the kitchens. There's a lot going on here. I like that we get to hear about the kitchens, Fred and George taking food from them. 
everyone's pretty excited. Neville stood up for himself, but he's uh, he's knocked out. He's in the hospital wing with Madame Pomfrey. Malfoy's got a black eye, and everything is going great. But Harry says, never mind that now. Let's find an empty room. You wait until you hear this. So they find a room. They make sure Peeves isn't inside. They shut the door behind them. So Harry starts right into it. He says, we were right. It is the Sorcerer's Stone. Snape's trying to force Quirrell to help him in getting it. And he asked if he knew how to get past Fluffy. He said something about Quirrell's hocus pocus. I reckon there are other things guarding the stone then, apart from Fluffy. There's got to be loads of enchantments probably. And Quirrell would have done some anti-dark art spell which Snape needs to break through. So Hermione then cuts in. So you mean the stone's only safe as long as Quirrell stands up to Snape? To which Ron then replies, it'll be gone by next Tuesday. And that ends that chapter. So, like I said before, I did want to talk about Nicholas Flamel, who historically, as far as we know, was a real person. Him and his wife, Paranel Flamel, were real people. And I don't have extensive information about them. I There are people that I have looked at countless times throughout the time that I have enjoyed Harry Potter. Ever since I read the first book, I was kind of just enthralled with this character, that being Nicholas Flamel, and who he is, what he has done, and I will say it was really cool. I believe it's the second Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them, where you get to actually meet Nicholas Flamel. He was this really old person that was then living, I think, then in the Americas. Was it in the Americas where they were? I'm trying to remember exactly where they were. It's been a while since I've seen the movies, and they end up getting help from... No, I don't think it was... I think they were in Europe. I think I'm pretty sure they were back in Europe then. So, yeah. Anyways, he wasn't known for being an alchemist. That was something that came after his death. It, it was something that came into existence after just different reports of things that he had been kind of looking into and what he had done. And he actually was a French scribe and a manuscript seller. And so it was really after his death that he had this this reputation of being an alchemist. And along with that comes, and this is really inside of the entire study of alchemy, the idea of the philosopher's stone that usually comes with it. And part of the reputation that he had then developed after his death, and I, I'm, you can't see it, but I'm using air quotes for death, is creating the philosopher's stone, which we already know could turn any metal into pure gold and create the elixir of life, thus granting immortality. And it wasn't until about the 17th century that those accounts really started to become legend around him. He and his wife had lived, it seems as if, between 1340 and 1418. It might have been their lifespan for him and his wife. Not entirely sure on it, but we do know that they had lived in Paris in the 14th and 15th century, and really the claim to being an alchemist again came after his death. But in a few different places, and just for now, in sake of giving you guys a chance of being able to go and, and also read some of this if you would like, based on Wikipedia, which I know Wikipedia isn't always the most factual place to go because it can be edited. However, I do find that a lot of these 
notes here in Wikipedia do run well with other areas that I have studied the flamels. And so a lot of this stuff is stuff that I have read in other places, other books, other historical books as well. And so with that, what we see here in Wikipedia, which I'm going to read, talks about some of the early claims about Nicholas Flamel in a book that was written kind of being accredited to him called Exposition of the Hieroglyphical Figures. It was attributed to Flamel that this whole collection was. And one of the trips that he had been taking to Spain resulted in him meeting a gentleman on the way back from Spain. And again, this book is not something we're saying that he wrote himself. It was a book that he had been studying and decoding and deciphering. And he meets this sage who recognizes the book as being a book of a man called Abramelin the Mage. And so over some period of time, it says the next few years, Flamel and his wife had allegedly decoded enough of this book to successfully replicate its recipe for the Philosopher's Stone, first producing silver and then gold and then so on from there. Now, whether these accounts are true or not, it has led to a lot of legend and mystery. And we get to see that in the Harry Potter books where he does or is affiliated with actually creating the Philosopher's Stone. Or there's another book series, if you don't know it, it's called the, – the first book is The Alchemist, The Secrets of the Immortal Nicholas Flamel. And then there's a whole series of books after that. If you haven't heard of them or read them, I would highly suggest them. They are really cool. They're, they're, it's a really interesting story. And you also see – this is something that I particularly enjoy because I love video games. But in Assassin's Creed Unity, there's actually several missions that you end up playing in that game that revolve around Nicholas Flamel and some of his works. I thought that was really cool to see. But another thing that you can go check out is the house of Nicholas Flamel still in Paris. And – it's something you go to now. It's a personal residence, but they also have a, a restaurant. It might be a cafe, a cafe or restaurant. They could be one and the same. But it is somewhere you can actually go check out. It is – and there's an actual address if you ever get to go to it. And it, it is obviously a, a French address here, 51 Rue de Montmorency. And it's in the third – I don't know how to say this – Erotisement of Paris. I think I might have said that correctly. If I did not, please correct me and let me know how to actually pronounce those things. But it is a real place you can go check out. It is apparently one of the oldest places in Paris to you can go see. It's not known if he actually lived there, and a lot of people believe that he did not actually live there. But it is a place that you can actually go check out and see. It is attributed to him. Now, some of the reports are that... Nicholas Flamel had actually created his own tombstone and put his own words on this tombstone and that it is being preserved in a museum now and that there was a legend during – and this is I think also what kind of stirs up a lot of the legend around him is that there were either priests or grave robbers. It's depending on where you hear this story. There are either priests or grave robbers who – 
had opened up the tombs of Nicholas and Paranel Flamel in order to obviously do something. Uh, if it was Grey Roberts, it was probably stealing something. He would have been, after his death, all of this fame growing, he would have acquired a fair amount of wealth. And so I could see it being grave robbers trying to get into his grave to steal any fortunes that probably would have been buried with him. As for priests, I don't know why they would have unless it was like maybe looking for some sort of knowledge or something like that. I don't know. Either way, for some reason, his grave apparently had been broken into and that led to people discovering that his grave and his wife's grave were empty. And that just fueled this legend of him still being alive. And from that point on, there were apparently reports all over the place of Nicholas and Paranel Flamel, all over the world, now exploring the world, essentially. And there was actually, in the 18th century, reports, there was speculation that Nicholas Flamel and a mysterious adventurer named Comdain Saint Germain were one in the same, that they were the, the same people. And I don't know a lot about Saint Germain. I don't know. I've only seen a few things here and there about like his history, and we're not going to get into any of that. But we do know that he was born in the 17th century, and he did a lot of exploring. He, he apparently was also a founder of Freemasonry and just a, a whole lot of things that were attributed to him. However, they there are speculations that him and Flamel might have been the same person. And so with all of that, I know it's a lot about the Flamels. I think it's really interesting. Go and do your own study on him. I think it's really cool to to look into those things and see the stuff that J.K. Rowling had incorporated into her world and how she has used them to just create the magic that we see here that we as people my age grew up on this magic that is just so captivating and enthralling and it makes you want it. It makes you want it to be real just because of how in-depth it is and how, as I've said this in previous episodes, how she has taken this world and has just simply inserted it into the real world. Like it's just laying there hidden so perfectly in plain sight. And muggles don't see it as if it could really exist. And she does this by taking figures like this from history and just slightly changing some of the aspects and making them real in regards to the story themselves. And so that'll do it for today's episode. Again, I apologize for the break in between. It was very busy. I, I do anticipate maybe there being another break the week of Christmas and New Year's as it, it's probably going to be very busy then as well. But I will do my best to try and keep that from happening. I don't like having the breaks, but it honestly sometimes can't be avoided. And so, yes, thank you guys so much for listening. If you are enjoying what you are hearing, like and share it on social media. Tell your friends about it, people who enjoy Harry Potter, even people who don't like Harry Potter. Have them listen to it, and maybe it'll change their mind. I don't know. But just thank you guys so much for listening. My name's Tony. I'm your host, and this is Common Room Talk.